0: Since 2005, Blue Hat has been where the security research community and Microsoft come together as peers
1: to debate and discuss, share and challenge, celebrate and learn.
0: On the Blue Hat podcast, join me, Nick Fillingham,
1: and me, Wendy Zanoni, for conversations with researchers, responders and industry leaders, both inside and outside of Microsoft,
0: working to secure the planet's technology and create a safer world for all.
1: And now on with the Blue Hat podcast.
0: Welcome to the Blue Hat Podcast, Dr. Nastori Cinema, Story, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Before actual the Blue Hat event, normally when we chat to you, whether it's recording it for a, a piece of content or, or some other conversation, you are at home in Tampere, Finland. Did I say that right?
2: Tampere. Tampere. So Tampere yes.
0: in Finland. Today, you are not there. You're somewhere a little closer to us. What's going on?
2: Yeah, so I'm in Florida. U.S., in Orlando, at the Universal Studios Resort. So there's actually a conference here, a very old conference. It's called TechMentor. It has actually a couple of different conferences in the same conference, but that's called TechMentor. And I think it was 26th time this is organized. So it's one of the oldest Microsoft conferences, conferences related to Microsoft technologies.
0: Got it. And you're there as a presenter? You're presenting a session?
2: Yes, so this is my fifth time here in Orlando. And then it's also organized in Seattle, in Microsoft headquarters, once a year. And I've been there twice. But yeah, this is my fifth time
0: here. And giving us that segue back to Microsoft headquarters, you were with us in person in October, presenting at Blue Hat October 23, for the second time in 12 months, because you were also with us in February of 2023 for the return of Blue Hat, post-COVID new world order. So thank you so much for being a part of both Blue Hats. And thank you very much for being a part of of Blue Hat October 23. Today, we're going to talk about your presentation from uh, the most recent Blue Hat, which was called, in quotation marks, I'm doing air quotation marks, It's by Design. With also an exclamation mark at the end. And that is you gave a a sort of a, a sort of a summary of some cases that you've worked on and cases you've been involved in, had exposure to, where the initial response and sometimes multiple responses back from the triaging teams in MSRC was that not a bug. It's by Design, and then you sort of talked about that. And we'll, we'll jump into that in just a minute. For folks that don't know Dr. Azure AD, don't know Dr. Nestori Cinema, that, that would be very few people listening to this podcast. But could you give us a quick introduction or a reintroduction to you, Nestori? Who are you? What do you do here?
2: My name is called me. Some call me Dr. Nestori Cinema, but no need to doctor. And uh, I do uh, information security research. And I'm focused on Microsoft Cloud Identity, which used to be called Azure AD. And thus, my tag in Twitter or X or whatever it's called nowadays is to Azure AD. And that's kind of the story behind the name. I even bought a car this summer, just before our summer vacation, uh, with uh, vanity plates and plate numbers AAD365. And when I came back from the holiday and got the car, you changed the name. Of the product. So now it's into IDE. So that's also one of the jokes I tell you in my talks, that every time Microsoft rebrands something, it costs me $1,000 because I need to do the new plates.
0: <laughs> or maybe it's every time that you order vanity plates, that triggers a rename, you know, like maybe it's the other way around.
1: Yep, there might be some automation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I would love to dive into your talk, but I want to dial it back a little bit. And I want to know, I mean, you're such an impactful researcher. How did you even get to the point of being interested in being a researcher? Can you give us a little bit of history on how you got to where you're at
2: now? Well, that's an interesting question because I've been interested in research in general a very long time. So I started to study again back in 2003. So I did my BBA and I did my master's degree in economics and business administration Then I did my PhD in informatics. And that's actually from the University of Reading, England, in Henley Business School. So that's quite interesting. So business school, but informatics. And I've ever since loved doing the research. So it's kind of uh, built in to me. So I like to research stuff, so how things work, how to break them and so on. And then I started to teach people how to implement Or deploy Office 365 back in 2013, so it's ten years ago, and it was for administrators. And while doing that, I found some things that sound or looked a bit odd for me, and then I jumped into that how that actually works. And finally, back in 2018, I started to publish my tool called AAD Internals. I think I need to rebrand that too, maybe, because for the obvious reasons. And started to publish that. And then it led to possibilities to speak in conferences like in Black Hat or DEFCON and so on. So that's kind of how everything started.
1: You speak at a lot of conferences. How many a year would you estimate that you speak at?
2: Well, that's again, good, good question. So before <laughs> before like uh, I started to speak a lot. So last year was the first after the COVID or how Nick said, the new word order again, or the return of the old one. And the year before that, I had like 20 talks, but they were all virtual. So I could do three a day easily. And sometimes I did actually. So I got three different conferences, like one hour talk to different conferences around the globe. So one in India, one in Europe, one in the U.S. for instance. And then... When the COVID kind of went away and the world started to open again, it hit me like a, well with a surprise because all my talks got accepted and they were in person. <laughs> so last year I got like 19 in-person conferences, over 25 talks. And this year, maybe a little less, maybe 10 conferences, 15 talks or something like that, but yeah. That's a lot.
1: You must be the best at writing submittals. <laughs>
2: I don't know about that, but uh, maybe be the, the subject of my talks are interesting. Yeah, and those are yes. mostly in like information security conferences, like Blue Hat, for instance. So yeah. And a story. Where do
0: you find the time when you're not traveling around Europe and the world presenting at conferences? Where do you find the time to do your research? Is this your nine to five? Focus, And so this is, this is what you're, you're actually sitting down at your, your computer to do each day? Or is this something that's a little bit more extracurricular when it comes to your, your day job and your, your time?
2: Yes, so my day job is uh, being a full-time researcher. So I work for CQWorks, which is a Microsoft partner also. There's a unit called ConvertSuite Unit, or CTU, and I'm working there. So I'm working a team currently where there are three researchers who are MVRs also, like me, and we do the research like full-time. And part of my job is also that, and the other guys who work in the team is to uh, present in conferences also to share the like uh, information what we have found and also like build like a brand for the company.
1: For, for those that maybe don't know what an MVR is, do you want to explain what that means as a researcher?
2: Yes, so... MVR stands for Microsoft's most valuable researcher, and uh, to be one of those, you need to submit vulnerability reports to Microsoft or Microsoft Security Response Center, MSRC, to be more specific. And depending on how like uh, severe things are you report, you will get points, or sometimes more, sometimes less. And then at the end of the, let's say, MVR season, which I think it's same than and much of fiscal year, so you will at the end of that season your points are counted, and then you are uh, put in the list. And it used to be that MBRs are only the top hundred. Now the list is like three uh, hundred ninety something, if I remember correctly. And then I'm about in the middle way this year. So last year I was like uh, above hundred this year, not.
0: How many years or have you been somewhere on the MVR charts? The story, is, that, is it something that you, you know, top of your head?
2: Yeah, this is my third time now. So the first time was, uh, I think it was 2021. And then there was only 76 on that list. And I was the last one. I don't know <laughs> <laughs> why. But uh, yeah, so 79 and then something below 100 and now 164 or
0: something like that. Got it. And this is October uh, Blue Hat October 23 was your third time on the Blue Hat stage, is that correct? Well, technically the first
2: one in oh. Blue Hat, so in February I was I was also attending the conference, but I was speaking on the last day, which is the Strike day, so technically it's not Blue Hat, but, but yeah.
1: I have a little bit of pride in that because Strike is the program that I run within Microsoft, and so I was thrilled to have Nestori on the Strike stage. And for those that are listening, Strike is an internal uh, security and awareness training program within the company.
0: Yes, and we uh, what we've done with the last couple of uh, Blue Hats is that the first two days are open to both the internal and external security research community, and then we do a third day, uh, which we call Strike Presents Blue Hat, and that is just for internal Microsoft employees. And it gives us an opportunity to have conversations or presentations that that may include some confidential or undisclosed information and as well as a touch on topics that are specific sort of to, to Microsoft employees and so story this time around your session uh, was called it's by design and I was so I you know I get to see the submissions as they come in through the call for papers process I, I don't vote on them I'm not a part of the voting body but I, I get to see them all come in and I'm obviously very biased, so I'll put that up front. You know, I help run the Blue Hat event, run the Blue Hat program, so I I I love Blue Hat. But one of the things that I think is fantastic about Blue Hat as a conference, and I think is somewhat unique in the industry, maybe not in maybe not fully exclusively just Microsoft, but certainly unique for these types of events, is that Microsoft will accept a talk from a researcher like yourself, where essentially you're taking us to task. You're not just saying that you have sort of found a a vulnerability in our product and you're talking about the process of what you found and how it worked and how it was mitigated. You're actually saying you found vulnerabilities, you submitted them, they were not actually accepted as vulnerabilities and were closed as by design. And then you talked about what happens from that point forward. And in, in, in in a number of your... Cases that you referred to in your presentation, you talked about how eventually, through backwards and forwards and negotiation and chatting with with people inside MSRC and across Microsoft, it was determined that the thing that you submitted actually was a vulnerability and did need to get fixed. I'm giving away your your, your talk here because I'm really excited and I loved it and I was really I was really proud that it was a part of Blue Hat. I'll pause here, story Could you tell us a bit about It's by Design first of all? Did I get any of that wrong? Feel free to correct me here. But what, what was your It's By Design session at Blue Hat all about?
2: Yeah, well, by design, what it means is that, well, when you're submitting vulnerabilities to Microsoft, there's a kind of like, might be consequences, like you might get a bounty. And bounty is like a monetary, let's say, price or whatever, how you, how you want to call that, is that if you uh, find something that it's severe enough, Microsoft is going to pay you a certain amount of dollars. So it can be anything from, let's say, 1,000 to thousand. So it depends kind of in which, let's say, program you are submitting. And if you get by design, it means that this is uh, working as intended. So two things so it's not going to be fixed. And second, you won't get a bounty. And they are like, I could say there are two kinds of researchers. For me, it's most important when things get fixed. So the bounty is a plus, but it's not a necessity as long as things get fixed. But for some people, the bounty is like uh, the thing. They are doing that for their living. I know a lot of guys who are doing that. So it could be quite stressful and so on. So it's uh, quite funny. So I submitted I think, five talks or something like that, and the others were very technical. Some new research I was quite uh, quite proud of, but they got not accepted. So this was like, well, they are not going to accept this talk, but I'm going to still put that like proposal. But it got accepted, and I was okay, that's nice. So this is going to be actually fun. So I've been doing this a uh, couple of years now, and I know that Sometimes they are like misunderstanding and so on. And and it's not easy to explain something that is very technically difficult. And there are five people in the world who know what you're talking about. So it's not easy. So I just wanted to tell both researchers and to Microsoft that, with using a couple of cases, an example, that that what happens when you get the by design stuff. So, So, first, the first was about. The thing that was told to us that that's that's like a, it's by design, so there's nothing we are going to do about that. But when it was published, the research was published, then it got fixed. So we got a message uh, sometime after the, the publication that that it, they are actually going to fix some stuff. So that's one example. The second one was about the feature. It, and by the way, these are not all from me. So. Some cases are from mine, some are like from fellow researchers. And the second case was that there's a teacher uh, that was just closed. The report was closed. And then when the guy published that, there was some contacting from from certain individuals from Microsoft to, to he and, and, and why did he do that and so on. So there was some miscommunication. I don't know what happened actually. And then there was another case... That was like, um, it was a bug. But it was not severe enough. And I was helping a fellow researcher, in this case. And then kind of, uh, I helped him to argue that this is severe. So then he actually got the bounty. And it, it was a very big case to him. And then there was another thing, which was actually my first case, when I got bounty. And it was... $20,000, so it was actually quite big. And it took a long time to get fixed. And finally, when it got fixed, the fix didn't work, actually. So I submitted another report that I can actually bypass this fix, and I got another $20,000 bounty. It was sent to MSRC that, please ask researchers to confirm the fix, so it gets cheaper for you guys. And it also, before it's published, like, uh, it really works. And then there was a um, couple of other cases, but, but all of those are, like, different. And the last one is, like, my favorite. So it was, uh, I found a way to bypass multi-factor authentication and conditional access rules in certain features. And it got back as a by-design. And there was also links to documentation, and that's a very nice way to get a researcher pissed, if you will. <laughs> but actually, it was my fault, so I didn't read the documentation. So the settings didn't got applied, so it took like five hours. I, I just didn't wait enough. So it's just an example that also researchers are human beings, so we make mistakes. and So it's not black and white. So it's not that Microsoft is bad and the researchers are good. So it's nothing like that. It's uh, we are all in the same mission, if you will. So we want to get things fixed, and we just need to talk a bit more sometimes with each other.
0: Gosh, I really loved your session, and we'll put a link into the show notes so folks can hopefully uh, get a chance to see the stories, the recording of the story session. One thing I loved about it is that I really felt what the takeaway from your session was. And, and you just touched on this uh, twice then, is that we are all humans. The researchers are humans, and then the folks on the receiving end of bug submissions, whether they're in MSRC or at any any vendor who runs a, a bug bounty program, are also humans. And so there's a human-to-human dynamic as well as just sort of communication as a as a vehicle, as a medium, that's a big part of it. And the other thing that you said that that I think is really, really important... <laughs> Is that sometimes a researcher has found something that only a handful of people on the planet will understand? Sometimes, you know, you, the researcher, whether it's Unistory or anyone else, sometimes you will have dis- you will discovered something, a flaw in logic, a vulnerability, a bug that maybe five people on the planet would actually be able to sort of understand what's going on on the other end or even be able to sort of dig into, you know, the code or the logic under the covers. And so really when that's the case your presentation i felt was sort of a masterclass in tenacity and what to do when maybe you've you've come across this roadblock where you the researcher have found something you you feel very sort of passionate that you have found this thing and it is a potential vulnerability or is something that could be taken advantage of by a, by a bad actor and the reality is that the people on the other end of the you know, on the other end of your email or on the other end of the phone, they aren't part of that very small handful of experts on the planet that that actually know what's going on behind the scenes. And so, you sort of talked about how digging into documentation, checking in with other researchers, speaking with people that work at the company that may have this sort of degree of expertise on par with you and how Going through all of that, yes, it is sort of time-consuming and sometimes it's inefficient, but in the end, you're able to get that outcome, which, as you say for you, is about getting stuff fixed. But then also if you are an independent researcher that does require, uh, you know, is, is looking at at bug bounty payments for, for income, there's also the opportunity there to generate, you know, to actually get those bug bounty payments in the end. So would you agree with that framing that that partly what you were presenting on was understanding the dynamics of the fact that sometimes a researcher is, you know, they have this this depth of understanding that only a a very small number of people may have. And so what you're really doing is you're trying to come up with a way to communicate this very nuanced or very technical or esoteric concept in such a way that it's understood by the folks receiving it and then ultimately fixed.
2: Yeah. For sure, Yes. (laughs) Yeah, so it is ex- exactly like that. Uh, and also like researchers, they not everybody understand that. I don't know if this is the correct, but it feels that maybe well in my area, so I'm I'm researching cloud stuff and identity related stuff. So from the correct products, you are publishing all the time new ones, so so there's a like job security, I would say, for researchers. But um from the current one, I think the easy ones are already found. So when you are finding something, they are, they might be very technically difficult to implement or, or conduct those attacks and so on. Sometimes you might just need to be patient. And as you said, you should like talk to other researchers, read the documentation also. If you have any contacts in the, in the organization where you are submitting your stuff. And also one thing is that. In Microsoft, like bug bounty programs, even though when you submit something and they are not secure enough to get bounty, you will get the points to get on the MVR list. And if you are a starting researcher or want to start in message security, being on that list is actually very valuable when you are trying to get a job, for instance, in this industry. So it's very like um, everybody knows that who works in this industry and it's very valued. I would say,
1: I think you touched on this a little bit, but you were in your talk talking about how researchers they need to advocate for some, be an advocate for themselves, you know, and then and you also mentioned that communication is key. I agree with that. I was uh, talking to Nick earlier uh, before the podcast that I used to run a bug bounty program for a much smaller company, but um, one of the things that I gave a talk on at an OWASP um, conference was how your Relationship with your researchers is the main key, I think, to a successful program. so when you were talking about you know communication is is so important, have you had that where that's the situation where you maybe have submitted something and then they say it's by design and you're you know you're adamant and like no, this is actually something that you should be taken seriously, but within that communication back and forth, you realize that maybe it was by design you know instead of the flip of of getting them to realize that it is something else. Has it been flipped on your end to be like, okay, maybe that was that is by design. I could see that both sides happen.
2: Yeah, yeah. It has happened to me like the last case I'm in my talk, it is actually like that. Sometimes like being by design, it could also be like bad design. But that's like a matter of opinion. And it, something might work actually like it's designed, but it can be used for Political feature can be used for bad things and so on. And and yeah, but that can happen. So we just agree to disagree at some times, and that's it. And that also happens. And actually now I'm working for CQWorks. And we don't want to do anything stupid, like by publishing some zero days. So that's why we well, we are submitting things that we might know that. This might not be actually vulnerabilities, but we want to have like a check mark from Microsoft that, okay, this is by design, so we can talk about this. So it's like a we're on the safe ground, if you will. So yeah, so we do that also quite often.
1: For yourself, and and I assume this is something for most researchers, it's that that fine line between demonstrating a vulnerability, but then also there's that other darker side where... Hmm, I could exploit this and do something else. Like, how do you approach that from an ethical standpoint? For and I assume that comes from you know what is your intention? You know, doing this job like you want to make the world a better place, or you just want money, or not, not necessarily you specifically, but researchers in general. I can see this being very a fine line for folks.
2: Yeah, no, I'm also like part of uh, like hacker communities, and I have the widest hat of the all. But uh, sometimes some don't have that white hat, so it's grey or even black with some, some people. So there are different motivations. So for instance, it's challenging because, and it's a known fact, that if you want to like make most of money with something that you find, you go to the black markets and sell that bug for 10 times, for instance, or then you report that to Microsoft. And they say that, OK, this is low security stuff and they're going to fix that and you won't get anything. Or maybe you will get bounty once but yeah so it depends so there are people with different backgrounds and because i'm a researcher so my ethics come from that so it doesn't matter kind of what research you do you always need to be ethical yeah agreed yeah
0: this feels like a wrap up question but i'm I'm not trying to end the, the conversation but one thing i i wanted to sort of ask the story was How might the learnings from your Blue Hat session on It's By Design and the experiences that that you've had submitting to Microsoft where that was the initial response, how might that be applicable more broadly across the industry? So, for researchers researching other platforms, for companies running their own bug bounty program. I felt like a lot of what you talked about was not specific to Microsoft uh, in the sense that it was guidance to researchers on what to do when you get a response of it's by design. But it was also guidance and recommendations to those vendors and to those bug bounty program that the folks running bug bounty programs across the industry on... You know being open and honest and timely with communication with researchers to you know ensure that there is uh, consistency in what is being said to researchers. You had one example where two researchers submitted similar cases, and one was told one thing and one was told the other thing, and so the feeling there was that the initial feeling was perhaps one of dishonesty when in actual fact it was it, you know it was just sort of an inconsistency or 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 something. I guess my question is, how would you summarize all of the sort of takeaways and the learnings as something applicable more broadly to the industry?
2: Yeah, well, this, this was in Blue Hat. I was talking about Microsoft cases, but, but as you said, this is uh, not just microspecific. So all these things are available or not available, but they are, are out there with other vendors too. And well, as I told, I'm, I'm a member of certain hacker communities. One thing we talk about a lot is uh, bug bounties, and there are, well, let's put it this way, that Microsoft bug bounty program, I would say that it's uh, one of the best ones in, in a mean that well you're a big company and you have uh, more people to run bug bounty programs than others do, so it's not an easy thing to do, uh, and uh, and not many organizations actually want to do that. They don't want to run bug bounty programs. So they are afraid that people are finding bugs, but that's the whole point of the bug bounty program. So, so yeah. And well, one thing that, uh, it's good for organization that has bug bounty program is that there's a official ways that how you can report stuff. And also you have a safe harbor thing, which means that it is, it is okay to try to break your stuff the point that you can prove that you can do that. So you shouldn't go any further. But there are organizations that doesn't have anything like that. So if you are reporting something, they might even sue you. But why did you do this? And then we are telling them that just please fix that. So so that's also one reason that people might not want to even to report bugs to some organizations. So yeah. But anyways, yes, so this is a Everything applies in the broader context of the whole bounty industry. So, yeah, I agree on that.
1: I think people used to have to carry letters, whether they're doing physical pen tests or any kind of security testing in that sense. You had to have a letter that, like, basically it's a get-out-of-jail letter. And this is like, you know, I'm sure we can find some folks that are from that era that can talk to us a little bit about that. But, But being that there are these programs now that give you that protection... It makes it so much easier to find the things that you find, and and I can see people being a little concerned about it. Like if you're a smaller company, like what is this going to mean for us? What are you going to find? But in in my experience, like the researchers are such a vital part of of a company to be able to ensure that your customers are safe. You know, their data is safe. you know the products are safe. So. Um, I think it's a great thing. And and like you said, I love all the initiatives that are happening now to ensure that there is protection and people can safely report things.
0: Yeah. So Nestori, you're in a, um, a category of researchers where you do genuinely have this sort of immense depth of expertise and understanding for how Azure AD and Active Directory and Enter and all the various permutations and names of sort of Microsoft identity platforms and systems work. And so for you, to be, for you to submit something and get an it's by design, you're in a very unique position in which you have that resourcing and that, that knowledge and that experience to be able to, you know, essentially push back and say, well, here's why I don't think it's by design. Here's why I think you should take another look. I wonder in your conversations with other researchers, especially those that are new, new to research or new to a platform or just sort of just sort of new to the 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 industry in general, how might they know or what could they do to know if they have been, you know, if a case has been closed as by design or not a bug, et cetera, et cetera. What could they do to sort of check for themselves, like, hmm, you know, am I actually on to something here? And should I push back? And should I, should I, you know, keep engaging with with this vendor or keep engaging on this case and getting them to look at it again versus, oh, you know what? Actually maybe I maybe they're right. And you know, I am I am sort of a bit new in this space and I I guess I don't maybe fully understand how it works. Like you're in a unique scenario where you can make that call yourself. But what would your advice be to new or up and coming or younger researchers to be able to decide should they keep investing in in that submission and pushing and 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 trying to get it sort of reopened and readdressed?
2: Yeah, well, joining certain, let's say, communities, where are the fellow-minded researcher, for instance, that would be the first thing. So you could find a person there who works on that industry or that area and can have a look. Some, let's say, trustworthy person who doesn't try to advance by getting your research and and publish it as their own.
0: How would you recommend finding that? I mean, that's, gosh, we could have a whole podcast on how to identify a trustworthy researcher, but like, do you recommend starting on some sort of, you know, Discord group or or Twitter or Blue Sky, or is is there somewhere you would recommend folks sort of begin looking for that trustworthy peer?
2: Yeah, so maybe look like a conference talkers, speakers, try to follow them and then to see their followers and who they are talking with in, in on, online so that would be one thing for sure because yeah you, you don't know so this is also network of trust if you will so somebody knows somebody and somebody knows somebody and so so on and also if you have any contacts to let's say if you're doing microsoft back somebody who works for microsoft you are a very big company so there are a lot of people that you might know that is working there well of course it can be a bit challenging like in countries like in Finland there is like in quotes that it's only sales and marketing so there's nothing pretty much like research or anything like that so so it might be a bit challenging but
0: yeah got it so just to summarize look for you know maybe a a seasoned conference presenter like yourself (laughs) <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Who who mm-hmm. is out there
0: <laughs> presenting regularly in the space that you're researching and you know, reach out to them and you know, maybe see if they're open to to having a conversation to double check your work or just see if you're on the right track. You you would recommend that for for newer researchers?
2: Yeah, correct. And I got those requests every now and then. And some are like uh, they are really something, some are not. So it's also to ask for senior researchers so they can tell that okay this really isn't nothing it, it isn't and then if it, it is it, they can help you like push back. that you used that term earlier so yeah
1: in your history of getting by design responses how has that changed the way you write reports Figured like it's gotta your reports have have to have had evolved from those responses so that maybe they're more robust or more detailed or more impactful like okay I showed you before but let me really show you what this is. How has that adjusted your report writing?
2: Oh yes it has an effect. So I have a one case from three or four years ago that it wasn't actually like by design but it was like they closed the closed report that sent us a PLC probably like a video I sent the video and it was close to Gantt. Can you send me a POC? And I was like, ah. But, anyways, so first of all, there's a template. So, when you are submitting something to Microsoft, and there's a template in the portal, which you can just use. So, there are all the headlines. And so, basically, the information that MSRC wants to know. And especially when you are like a new starting uh, researcher and nobody knows you, then you should use that. So, it's easier for the people who are triaging. To see what it is there. And I always submit, well, not always, but usually submit the video and also POC PLC that can, which is basically a powerful command that you can just write it and hit enter and it does this thing. So I can prove that and they can like reply or, oh, sorry, they can like rebuild that. They, they can confirm that it really works like this. So I would say those three things. So use the template, add a video. You don't need to speak on a video, you can just type and, and use the call-outs what's happening. And then build a POC that everybody can run easily. So that those are like my tweet tips.
1: That's great for those listening that just even are getting started that want to know how do I what's the first step? Like how do I even begin? So that I think that was really useful.
0: So Nestori, we're coming up on time here. What's next for you? What sort of interesting research are you working on that you can talk about? What, where are you speaking? You know, hopefully your, your, your by design cases are all behind you and you'll never encounter that again. There's some sarcasm in, in, in me saying that. But yeah, what's coming up for Dr. Nestori Cinema? Don't call him doctor in the, next, <laughs> in the next little while. Where can we see you? Where can we, we follow your exploits?
2: Well, the next thing is that I'm going to join Microsoft, actually. As a principal identity researcher, later this year or beginning of the next year.
0: Wow. Wow. That's big news. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> That's awesome. Still in Finland or are you going to be bringing the family over to uh, the US? I'm not still in Finland.
2: So I will be based in Finland.
0: Wow! What that's huge news. Well, wow, we're not we don't we don't normally uh, break news on the podcast. I guess we're not bro- breaking news on the podcast because we are recording this in the, the middle of November. But that is that's big news. Wow, the story. Wow, congratulations and um, well, congratulations well, to nice. us that you're coming to join us. That's fantastic.
2: Yeah. So in my current job, there's uh, there's only well, how would I put this? So in Microsoft, I have a bigger impact. So that's the reason why I'm joining you actually. So I, I, it's easier for me to help more people to keep them safe inside rather than outside. If you know what I mean.
0: Absolutely, uh, and you've had such an immense, massive impact as a researcher in your current place that I, I can only imagine how that will amplify coming over uh, and working for us directly. So, will you still? You'll still be researching. You'll still be focused on identity platforms. Will you still be doing AAD internals? Will you still be doing all of the speaking, uh, or is that to be determined? That's, that's uh, for a future date.
2: That's to be determined. So, yeah. So, no details at this point. All right. That
1: means more, more presentations for us that we get to have you. That's amazing. I'm already planning. <laughs> well, thank you very much for being here. Enjoy Orlando. Enjoy the weather. I'm sure it's very different from Finland.
2: Well, actually, now it's raining, the whole week, oh. <laughs> but uh, it's a much warmer.
1: Maybe more sunlight now. Are you getting into the darker?
2: No s- sun is months? behind the sky, So sorry behind the, behind the All clouds. Right.
1: Well, yeah, we'll but, enjoy so, it anyway.
2: <laughs> I will. It's it's, it's sounding well, a lot more warmer here.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, and um, we appreciate you being here. And thank you, everyone who's tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Blue Hat Podcast. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us for the Blue Hat Podcast.
0: If you have feedback, topic requests, or questions about this episode,
1: please email us at bluehat@microsoft.com or message us on Twitter at MSFTBlueHat.
0: Be sure to subscribe for more conversations and insights from security researchers and responders across the industry
1: by visiting bluehatpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.